Hello, I'm Sarah Spiteri, and you're listening to The Well-Crafted Life, the new podcast from Homes and Gardens that considers one big question. How do we enhance our homes? And so, our lives. Every week, I'll be asking three tastemakers to share three secrets. It's a podcast that focuses as much on the little things as the big things, because a well-crafted life is made up of both. I hope you enjoy the show. This episode of The Well-Crafted Life is sponsored by Martin Moore, Classic English Kitchens. This week's theme is the hand of the maker, so I've spoken to three experts that create beautiful products and show the artistry of good craftsmanship. First, we have from furniture and lighting designer Russell Pinch. Working with his wife Una, Russell creates stunning pieces with a timeless, enduring quality. My second guest is textile and wallpaper designer Molly Mann. Molly uses the traditional technique of block printing to create exuberant patterns. Finally, we're joined by ceramicist Freya Bramble-Carter, who splits her time between creating gorgeous one-off pots and working with her father, teaching the craft. Get ready to be uplifted as we cover the importance of mementos, letting go, confidence, and the decorative beauty of Charleston Farmhouse. My first guest on The Hand of the Maker is Russell Pinch. It's a pleasure to have you here, Russell. Thank you for taking the time to join me. Hello, hello. Hi. Um, Now, regulars to the podcast will know that we are asking every guest to kick off the conversation with a description of their home. Home to me is, is three places. It's London, it's Devon, and it's France. They're all different types of homes for different reasons, but they're all linked very much by family. Trying to describe them, they're, they're different in their different ways, but they all. I think the thing that links them most together is that they're adaptable spaces that allow us to, um, to all be a family. And they react to the way we, we need them to work. So it's, sometimes they're a sanctuary, and then other times they're uplifting, and sometimes they're nurturing, and they sort of seem to follow the moods and the needs of, of what we all need as a family. How old are your children? They're 11 and 13. So I suppose their needs are developing and changing kind of almost as we speak. They are, and especially under all of this lockdown. Yeah. Um, obviously, homes have changed even more. We all have our little spaces. And I think one of the ways we've all come to being able to deal with that is creating our own little spaces. I've definitely, in this lockdown, had to create my own den. I found it very hard at the beginning of this lockdown until yeah. the point that I took all the furniture out of what was a, a study and all look very beautiful, and I've sort of ruined it in some respects, but made it so much <laughs> more creative in others, by putting in a really long, big trestle table with a top on it that can be used and damaged. And there's been times when there's me and my two girls all in a line doing our own little projects, and it's gorgeous, and God, it's the most uplifting thing in the world. The girls being obviously doing their online learning, and, and the two of us throwing ourselves completely, utterly into work. We've achieved more in the last year than we probably would in two ordinary years. We've yeah. been so much more focused and it's been so exciting. And, and, and I think this lockdown particularly has just been the most creative. So, I mean, I'm working on probably in the region of 10 new products, which is a ridiculous amount for us to be working on at one time. And why do you think you found it creative? Is it because you're able to, you know, obviously what you do is making. So is it something that it's quite easy to throw energy into when perhaps there aren't as many other distractions? 
It's definitely that. It's also um, because obviously managing people has become more like touch than normal because they're right. in their different locations. Yeah. Giving probably it's a double edged sword. Part of it means you spend a lot more time obviously on Zoom, but the other times um, it means I'm un- uninterrupted and I'm just r- uh, ring fencing that time. I, I being at this at this desk that I've created with you know mountains of balsa wood and super glue and sandpaper, so it's like a mini workshop. Is it's just fantastic. So it's really sculpting. It's almost yeah. it's sculpting the pieces in front of me rather than sketching, and it's lovely. And is that going back to sort of when you first started, almost? Oh, Sarah, it's 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 almost a bit embarrassing, really. It takes me back all the way back to when I first worked for Terence Conran at the beginning. Yeah, it's what I used to do for him. It was just literally he'd give me a sketch, and I'd be making little models of it. Now I'm the one creating the sketches as well, which is even more rewarding. But it really, it mean, in some ways, I think, God, have I moved on, you know, <laughs> 20, uh, how many years, 28 years later, am I still, am I still whittling these little bits of wood? But I can't tell you the pleasure I get out of it. It's oh, that sounds great. I, I want to start talking about your first secret, which you've d- entitled Mementos, The Handmade and The Found. Well, I was trying to sum up, I mean, these three houses, they, they also linked by the fact that they... One's London's Victorian and very true to its roots. Devon is a very modern, brand new piece of architecture built half into the landscape. Exciting. Um, France is a old sort of um, 200 year old cow barn, all in stone. The thing that brings them all together is that they're filled to the gunnels. We're not afraid of having a lot of pieces of art and objects and made things. We seem to have an obsession with car boot sales and brocons. It's not about the new. It's about the found that makes the ho- makes it so personal. And, and, I, and I know it's an obsession. I mean, we I think we're obsessed with creating spaces and then filling them with things that we have a connection with. And yeah. I think it's that human connection with an object. I mean, I don't think we ever go away without bringing something back, you know, when we travel. And even even to the point that we find, you know, the amount of empty frames that I'm buying up in junk shops and things, because we always find there's another little bit of art to put in it. And I don't mean I don't mean some very smart piece of art. I mean, like just the 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 matches from a restaurant that we went to when we were 20 or a label that was on a um, a leg splint, one of those Eames leg splints that Una gave to me on a you know a birthday when I was about 30. It's mm-hmm. it, and it's. It's just that sort of um, collage of life, and which memories. I just absolutely love. Yeah, yeah. I think that I love that too. And I think what's interesting about your designs as well is, you know, you can see such a strong handwriting, but equally they don't. Fe- I know they are new, but they also feel grounded in references and history. I think materiality is something that we go on about in our own work because it's so important. It's such an important part of the piece. A lot of our pieces are very simple, but they rely entirely on the expert making and the expert materiality, the chosen pieces of wood or whatever the material is. And I think that's true in a house as well, mm. because it's the it's the patina of those pieces. I mean, sometimes I think, God, you can never recreate old wood. You know, the way in which wood changes colour over time. Some get lighter, yeah. some get darker. You know, I mean, you know, and some people write off pine as like this kind of cheap material. But my God, when you see a you know, an old piece of pine, you think, God, wood can get no no more beautiful than that. The deep red tones. And it's all this about sort of growing old gracefully. 
Yes. And, and it's hard to replicate that. So I think, um, you know, it's those sort of time-worn pieces in your house, uh, that, you know, including the floors or the, it doesn't have to be pieces of furniture, you know, just all the frames. The reason I buy all these frames from junk shops is because you just can't recreate that in a modern piece. Can you remember what it felt like to have completed your first piece of furniture? Yeah, I can. And I still get the same buzz now from um, when I'm designing a piece. It's, do you know, it's a very rewarding job I've got. Because you, we sit, I sit there and make these little balsa wood models. Then we make a sort of, and you think it's a great idea and you get very excited about it. Of course, it's not as quite as good the next morning, unfortunately, and then you have to redo it. You have this process. Um, and then, you know, we make a full-size prototype. And then finally, we get the workshops, you know, to make the really perfect pieces. And then you find yourself on a shoot taking a photograph. And you almost, you look at that piece on the shoot and it's, it's the most, it's like the most uplifting moment of thinking, crikey, it's, it's come a long way, that piece. And it's had so much love. I mean, yeah. a real, real amount of love and time spent on it. It's not like we just sketch something and it just throw it somebody and it just happens. It gets refined and refined and refined. And, you know, we all fall out over it. <laughs> and then we all get back together. <laughs> we fall out of love with it. And then we fall back in love with it. And so, they, they, so yes, that, that, that never goes away from the first piece that we did to the pieces that we're doing now. And do you think so what we're really talking about, both in your products and also in, in what we're kind of saying is meaningful in, in home, is is this love, this sort of human energy that's poured into something? And would you say that that kind of the renewed interest has been in craft, would you say that's connected to this human relationship with the objects? Oh, undoubtedly. I, I think mm. it's I think people more than ever are looking for a human connection with with everything but i think i think even with pieces it's you know art and i think people would prefer to have a piece of homemade amateur art than they would a print as we would have had in sort of yeah. the 80s and the 90s you know it's 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 become just so much more appreciated and 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 the more we all do it the more we appreciate how hard it is to do and and therefore you have an appreciation of someone else's time that's gone into something that's handmade and that's true of everything from a bread to a beer to a piece of furniture or a piece of art yeah right we better move on to your second secret you've called it the quality of light tell us about that i think i think light is incredibly important in space and I know that it's, it, you know, you're reliant, obviously, on the architecture of the place to, to let the light in. I think it was Terence Conrad that said, I've, I read this this morning, said, take everything out of the room and consider the quality of the light before you bring everything and put it back into the room. And it's such an interesting idea. You know, we take for granted the way in which, I think sometimes it's easy to take for granted the way in which the light falls in a room. And sometimes you do need to really look at how the light is working in a room, where it moves and how it travels throughout the house. And to use it as much as possible to, to its, you know, to its best purpose. But I also think it's also about, you know, creating man-made light work for you as well. I was trying to count the other day how many lights we have in this house. It's ridiculous. I mean, we have an, on average <laughs> something like six lights in, per room, all different types of lamps. And they all have a reason. You can change the, it, like I was saying at the beginning, you kind of change the energy of the room, de deciding on which lights you switch on at different times. And then you bring into it candlelights. I find it amazing how much you can change a room with lighting, not that, without changing anything else, just the lighting. And what's your take on colour, kind of wall colour and pattern? And, you know, obviously we don't think of you as a brand, as a kind of vibrant, particularly, you know, as you said, it's got lots of kind of simple and beautiful materials. You know, do you live with a lot of colour and pattern? 
I think we live pretty, our, our brand, I mean, the whole thing is Una and myself. And, and of course, yeah. the reflection of the brand is a reflection of the way in which we live. And most of the pieces are designed in the way in which we'd want to use them. And half the time, they're actually designed for a use that we have for them. So, you know, we want a dining table that does this. We design a table. It's all very intuitive. And I think actually, yeah, the environments are a real good reflection. Um, you know, they're fairly neutral. We're, 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 um, but the things that we put in them can be quite bold. You know, we bring a lot of colour in through the furniture, through the art, mm. through the textiles and the rugs and that kind of thing. But yeah, there's, an, there's also, an, I think there's always a natural colour theme to it. There's, they're, they're not man-made colours. They're more from a natural kind of starting point. Now, that makes me think of kind of inspiration. And, you know, obviously we're all longing for as much inspiration as possible at the moment. Where, where have you been looking? Is there anything that, you know, are you looking in mainly in nature or is there, have you found a good source of inspiration? Do you know, I, this is, it's, it's a cliche, but I'm afraid to say it's the inspiration is from everywhere. I'm, I'm slightly obsessed with taking photographs of everything and anything. It can be literally the corner of a table or it can be the bark peeling off a um, silver birch tree. And, and both of those will have their place in how I might use them later. And I, what I do on my computer is I take thousands of these photographs and I build up this collage of all these parts of inspiration. And then I make folders of tables. And in my tables folder, there's not tape pictures of tables. There's pictures of silhouettes or just the corner detail of something which is not related to it. It might be a jug, but there's something in it. And actually, most of the people who look at the pictures, if I show them to people in the team, they can't, they, they're like, what the hell are we looking at here? But, <laughs> you know, they can't, but because it's what I'm seeing in each picture is the things that I bring together. There's more ideas than time. And, and Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of, kind of link us to your third secret, which you've entitled energy. Well, energy, motion and change. Well, this is an interesting one because this one's a bit forced upon us because because we've now got these two shops, which we love, and they become like, an. I mean, we are slightly addicted to creating interior spaces. And I think that's mm. clear by the fact that I introduced saying that we've got Devon, France and London. Yeah. We absolutely love creating spaces that we want to live in. And we we, we find that the whole process of that as exciting as actually the living in it. So we find ourselves in a constant state of change. And it's also because we've got these shops, which we, we basically take the art out of our house and take them to the shop. And then we create a little corner in the shop and then the art changes and some art comes back. So what this means is that our spaces are continually changing. And I think it's great because it, it actually changes up the energy in the house. I mean, some people I know often talk about, you know, they, you should always... I mean, if only everyone had enough time to do this, but change the art around in your house periodically, just literally move everything around in the house and it changes up the whole dynamic of the house. Uh, and But also, I think we're addicted to the point where it's becoming a slight obsession. You know, we change the <laughs> colours of the walls. I mean, we're changing the colour of the kitchen at the moment. There's no need to. It's currently a sort of stone pink colour. And, and then it's actually going to go to a very, a much more ochery kind of colour. Yeah, lovely. So it's, uh, it's really Do you think changing. people, are, you know, that's kind of moving it to a slightly more grounding, natural, I think, I suppose, as you said, you know, looking at kind of very earthy colours. Yeah, I think it's definitely warming it up. There's a, there's a lot less grey going to be going on in our lives. I think that's true of our work, actually, as well. You know, we, everyone goes through periods, I suppose. But, you know, we, we, we had grey floors and grey walls in most of our shoots for a very long time. 
and now you know we're, we're introducing color in so much more there's going to be so much more color in this next few the next year of photography you'll see a hell of a hell of a change i think well, Russell, thank you so much for your time. I feel inspired to embrace natural materials, to treasure all the belongings and old and new and mix it all up in a wonderful, Great. homely environment. Oh. Yeah, I feel inspired. I just want to interrupt to talk to you about Martin Moore. Specialists in bespoke kitchen furniture, Martin Moore is known for classic English design with an elegant, timeless style. Committed to excellence and British craftsmanship, all their kitchens are custom designed and handmade to order in their UK workshops. To find out about Martin Moore and their kitchens, head to their website, martinmoore.com or follow them on Instagram at martinmoordesign. Now for my second guest, textile and wallpaper designer, Molly Mann. Hi, Molly. Great to have you here. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Now, we've all been so impressed with the content that you've been creating over the past year. It's been so generous and uplifting, which really is the spirit of this podcast. So it is great to, to, for you to join us. And I wanted to start with you telling us all about your lovely home in Sussex. Okay, well, yes, it is. And actually, it is a lovely home, especially to be right now. So I live in a cottage down a very long, bumpy track in the middle of the Ashdown Forest. We're about 30 miles south of London. So heading in the direction of Lewis in, in Sussex. My cottage is a kind of, it's, it's an amalgamation of different bits. Originally, it was the woodman's cottage and it's okay. been built on ever since. And so it's mostly sort of a lovely stone cottage with tile roof, but it's got some classic Sussex clapperboard um, extension to one end. And so it's really beautifully nestled in among the oak trees. And have you always lived in the countryside? So no, I grew up in the countryside about an hour west of here. And then I spent 15 years in London and we moved out. My husband and I, Rollo and I moved out about 10 years ago. And yeah, we've been in this house now for nine years. And how is it decorated? Is it as we would imagine a riot of colour and pattern? <laughs> it certainly is. It really is. Because there are so many different sort of elements within the cottage itself, different types of windows and and all those different sort of doorways and things, it's all really allowed me to be eclectic with my decoration. So, yeah, it's first and foremost, hopefully, colourful. It's full of all the wallpapers that I produce. Of course, it's got lots of our fabrics in it. And it's a real mixture of things. We have, at one point, inherited quite a few bits and pieces of furniture. And so they weren't specifically made for the house, but we really wanted to fit them in. So I guess it's a real mixture of things that we've inherited. Rollo and I used to travel quite a bit. So it's bits that we've picked up on our travels. And then it's elements that I've made or wanted to have. So lots of hand block printed cushions and curtains and things like that. Beautiful. Do you have a favourite room? Ooh, I've never been asked that. That's so interesting. I think I love our sitting room. We've got a huge fireplace. It's slightly sort of too large fireplace for the size of the house, but it's the most brilliant fireplace to have. One of the joys of living in the forest is that we are allowed to cut down some of our own wood and they like yeah. it being cleared. So we create our own pile of, of logs for the fire. And I spend a lot of time, me and my children, sitting around the fire. And actually, when we first bought the house, um, I used to sit and stare at our very sort of severe grey concrete fireplace. And it didn't bring me any joy at all. And after I first visited Charleston Farmhouse and saw how they decorated their fireplaces and all of their house, actually, 
I realized that I needed to do that to my own fireplace as well. And I've now decorated it and it's all painted with dots and dashes and things. And it's colorful and bright. And it is the heart of our home. It really is. Yeah. And Charleston's your first secret and that kind of confidence. What, what is it about the, is it the fact that it's so bold that you, why do you find it so inspiring? I think when I first went to Charleston Farmhouse, the first thing I spotted was its location, this beautiful Georgian farmhouse, my sort of dream house, really, tucked under the hills of the South Downs. And that was in itself a sort of lovely thing to arrive at. But then the moment you open the door and you walk into that house and every single element of the house is completely decorated from top to bottom. I've never seen or I had never seen anything like that. And it was a real moment for me of realising how if you're confident and bold with your decorating, you can really make your home so individual. It was so unique to Vanessa Bell and all her gang. And that was what really struck me was that you could almost feel their presence there. You could just imagine them sitting on a cold, dark winter's day, painting one of the doors. And I love how they just went at it with this liberating confidence and obviously didn't follow any rules. They mixed, mixed match sort of Indian cotton printed fabrics in a room with paneling and To me, it just, it made me realise how one needs to make one's home one's own. So yeah, that's how it sort of really affected how I've decorated my own home, I think. I now paint cupboard doors up the stairs, everything. You can't stop me. (laughs) That sounds so great. And I think, you know, you use the word confidence. And I think so much of of interior design comes to confidence. But what's hard Mm. to know is how people who aren't from creative backgrounds can find their confidence. I suppose, is it, do you think it's just embracing the personal Yeah, I think a lot of people find it really hard to kind of dig deep and find out what it is that maybe they really like or that they really want. We're all so worried about what people think. Yeah. Um, And so actually visiting somewhere like Charleston is really refreshing and really inspiring. And I think there are quite a few places um, that you can look at or go to that are done in there's so many different styles that you know that and it's finding the thing that makes your kind of heart leap with joy and Mm. if you walk into a particular house and it doesn't do it for you don't do that in your own house and it is (laughs) seeking out it's seeking out these moments of joy isn't it and it was just with Charleston it just totally encaptured my my kind of excitement in how I could go home and do that in my own house. Now tell us a bit about your background has creativity always been part of your story? Well, I've always been creative, but I've never officially studied it. So um, I didn't do GCSE art, which meant I couldn't do A-level art and couldn't go on to do it at university or anything. So um, I'm totally self-taught. My mother is a successful artist and my grandmother was a great painter. And so creativity was a very natural thing to me. My mum was always doing something like marbling paper. And that was what we used to do at home on a Saturday. I thought that's what everybody did at home on a Saturday. (laughs) Got creative. So it's always been sort of there. And I have always felt that balance from in my life with being creative at certain times. And so I used to go when I was in London working, you know, really hard, I would go and do lovely life drawing classes in the evening or things like that. And it was when I happened across a block printing workshop that was my sort of eureka moment. I found the Mm. thing that was creative that really, I really, really gelled with. What is it that you think you love about it? Well, actually, there are so many elements, and I think that's what keeps it interesting and exciting to me. But I'm very, I'm very impatient, and so I love the immediacy of lifting the block and seeing a print straight away. You yeah, know, I you get can that. very, very quickly get going with it. And as I've done throughout lockdown with this potato printing, it's such an accessible art form. You can get a potato, an old pot of paint, and off you go. And so for me, I think 
when I first printed, I was using somebody's pre-carved block. So I instantly printed, lifted the block and was blown away by this pattern that appeared. And that, and, and then secondly, you get into this incredible rhythm of printing. You know, if you're printing a large piece of cloth or a roll of wallpaper, you really have to dig deep and concentrate. And you get into this rhythm of lifting the block, reloading the paint, laying it down and printing. And for me, I think that's what some people might find when they're running or others might find from doing yoga. I get this lovely sort of sense of peace, really meditative. So physically, it brings that attribute as well. But it's just what's so great as well is you can apply it to so many things. So I can print rolls of lining paper to make wallpaper or I can print old tea towels and jazz them up. Or you could make a set of tableware, you know, tablecloths and napkins. It's really you can make clothes with block printing. It's just a brilliant mm. form of putting pattern onto something. And I love things with pattern and colour on them. And when it, when it comes to your taste in pattern, do you prefer kind of neat prints? And so a lot of your papers and, and textiles have got lovely small repeats. Mm. Do you think that they're the more usable or are you drawn equally to kind of larger scales? Well, I think that's so interesting. And when I look now, I think it's something to do with confidence in what I do, if I'm completely honest. And I think when I started out, a lot of my prints were quite small. Okay. And I think I was very cautious and a lot of them were one colour as well. And so that was sort of me getting into the rhythm and that's actually really it's what I wanted in my house and yeah. my new collection that's coming out this later this year, the Greencomb collection, you're going to see some much bigger flowers, many more colours involved and I think when I look back, it is, again, it's this thing about, it's this confidence, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've just been blown away by uh, people purchasing fabrics and wallpapers that I've made. And I, it, has, it has enabled, it's pushed me forward. It's been my education in a way. It's allowed me to grow in my confidence and allowed me to get bigger and bolder as I go. And um, that, that goes for so many things, I think, doesn't it? It's really inspiring. Yeah. Your second secret is to do with India and how, you know, how that's a big source of inspiration for you. And am I right? And it's also where many of your products are printed. Yes. Yeah, so originally I used to print everything myself and which I still do as much as I can. But commercially, that stopped being sure. viable. Um, and so I... Well, actually, it was a funny, a funny tale because I, I went to India the first time about six years ago, but re- it was really, I'd never been to India before. I knew it was the heart of block printing. And I kept hearing, people kept saying, gosh, you must have been to Jaipur. And me saying, no, well, actually, no, I was taught by an English block printer. Yeah. And so eventually I felt like I needed to go. I needed to see how they did it. And I wanted to expand my knowledge. And so I went on what I thought was a one-off trip. And I was completely unprepared for how blown away I would be by one, the sort of life of the craft there and just the joy and the colour and the passion and the positivity that I sort of experienced while I was there. So India has become a really inherent part of what I do. And I now do work with quite a few block printers there. And they're very, very skilled at it. I mean, they are absolutely honed craftsmen you know they are the most brilliant people at that skill and it's in their blood and it's so wonderful to see and it's also really nice to stand at a table with a fellow block printer and all get excited about it together yes Um, so I have yeah and I think they're so passionate you know I I what I take away from India again and again it's it's really allowed me to come back home and bring a lot of color into my house they're so colorful and such uplifting positive people and they really have this belief that you just got to kind of go for it in life. And so now when I decorate at home, I have those voices in my head and 
you know, they love bright pink and I love bright pink. And I think I used to be a bit nervous about putting too much pink in my house. Now you can't stop me. And it's a very warm and joyful colour. And I, I just I love the way Indians go about using colour and their positivity in life. I think it's very humbling. Yeah. And do you think that, well, that human connection that you're saying, you know, you love standing at the table or something, do you think the sort of human or personal connection that you get with a piece of handmade product or something that's being crafted, is that why we're all seeing this renewed interest in, in craftsmanship? Yes, I think so. I mean, I'm now an absolute advocate for anything handmade. Mm. And I think we're at a vital stage where we really need to keep these crafts alive. You know, machinery is so easy. I was saying someone the other day, I think I could probably print what we produce in a year, probably in a week on a machine. And I just think, you know, sometimes people say, well, why are you doing it that way? And I, the thought of not having the beauty or the skills within us to do this crafted, handmade, careful product would be so soul destroying the thought that I couldn't show my children how yeah. to make something for themselves and print something and make it and just rely on ordering it on a machine I think would be really really disappointing and I don't think you'll ever get something as exquisite and as beautiful as the handmade they're the things that make us sort of ooh and ah in awe aren't they when something's handmade and you get these what we call perfect imperfections so yes. every single print is slightly different. And that's the beauty of it. And that's what gives a piece of fabric um, its energy and its story. And that's what I love about it. You know, over time, you can start to see which printers printed which bit of cotton because you learn this one presses a bit harder than the next one. Or on the left-hand side, there you, know, you can tell a lefty from a right-hander or... Things like that. Yeah. I just think there's a story in there. And I mean, it's really a piece of art, to be honest. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think without the story behind these things or without the craftsmanship, it just sort of loses the spirit. Yeah. Do you have a favourite object at home that encapsulates that? Ooh, I've got lovely bits of hand-block printed fabrics that I frame and put up um, to look at all the time, which which I adore. Um, I've got, you know, it's not block printed, but one of my most favourite things is a wooden box that my grandmother painted with my name on top. And it was always my crayon box. And I just think the fact that she made it. And, yeah. you know, I think about the time she put into that to dedicate it to me is what makes it so special. And I have still, I still use it with and have my pencils in it. And if it had just been a, a tin box, I might not have kept it all this time. But because my grandmother took the time and, and energy to make that for me, it's an incredibly special item. Yeah, thank you. That's a lovely story. Um, I wanted to prompt you for your final secret, which is laying the table. Well, so this is a new thing that has come into play with lockdown. Um, I find currently my mornings are so overwhelming, knowing we've got to start all these Zoom sessions and have been well fed and everything else that goes on in the morning. I just started at some point to lay the table the night before. And it has yeah. been um, revolutionary. And I actually put a really pretty tablecloth on the table as well. I now make breakfast a lovely meal. I want to start the day, which are quite hectic at the moment. I want the day to feel really lovely to start with. It used to be a bit of a swipe and go, our breakfast, as we whizzed <laughs> off on a school like. run. <laughs> yeah. And now we're at home. Actually, just to lay the table, the kids come down. It's there. We actually sit down and eat it. It's one of the meals we now eat together more. And it's a really lovely thing. It's cheery to have a sort of pretty printed tablecloth on the table. And it's just a very easy extra thing to do the night before you go to bed. But I, it just puts me, sets me off in the right, on the right stepping. 
Molly, thank you for such an uplifting conversation about confidence, about passion, embracing what you really love. And I can see you really do use colour and small details to elevate your everyday. So thank you so much for your time today. The final guest on this week's show is ceramicist Freya Bramble-Carter. Freya, hi. Thank you for joining us. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's great to have you on the podcast. We're going to start as we've been starting all our guests with where do you live? And yeah, tell us all about your home. I live in Waterloo. It's a like a maisonette apartment just along the river. It's kind of close to the National Theatre. It's quite a peaceful place, to be honest. I feel like the river is, uh, well, without the river being so close, it it might be a lot more difficult for me to live here. The river is like a huge refuge for me here. And I live with my twin sister, Yolanda. Have you have you always lived there? Did you move there recently together? We moved here when, I, when we were about eight years old with my mother, who's moved out. <laughs> Instead of the kids moving, we moved out years ago and left it. I think her intention was actually to uh, for us to sort of here. And what's your design aesthetic there? Have you, do you still have things that you had, you know, when you moved there when you were eight? Yeah, I mean, this is a big, you've asked me a really big question right there, because it's kind of like the bane of my existence. I've still got things that I've kind of hoarded from when I was really young, like all of my art projects and things like that. I've got vintage furniture, closet uh, drawers and things, big chests of drawers that are from like great grandparents that my mother brought in from the family and they seem to just not move I mean at the moment I think I'm being quite careful about the new things that I bring in I think I'm probably more focused on letting go of more old things yeah that's that links to your first secret which is chucking away (laughs) tell us about how you're using letting go or chucking away to kind of enhance your everyday chucking away has probably been quite important for me and my sister come to this realization that we're hoarders (laughs) <laughs> and, um, we used to just put the blame on on our parents but actually we've we've pretty much turned into that ourselves so now we're sort of weaning ourselves out of this pattern of behavior and um, there's been some really nice sort of poetic sayings that we we rehearse to ourselves when when trying to shift objects for example say I want to get rid of this old the top you know I'll, to, to, to stop me from feeling so bad I'll say thank you for serving me but you know, it's done and bye. But the thank you bit seems to be really important in helping me let go. And does that span from smaller things like tops to, are you, you know, are you using that as a kind of an emotional signifier? Are you also trying to kind of get rid of any baggage in that way? Yeah. Uh, yeah, everything. It could be emotional baggage through to big things, big objects, through to sentimental things, but it's absolutely anything. I have this sort of visual metaphor that I have where physically holding a sieve with sand and the, and just letting the sand fall through the sieve and you see the bigger bits at the top of the sieve and I just feel like I'm just going through these bits. That's a really lovely metaphor. Now tell us about you. Obviously, we know you're a ceramicist and we know you also do teaching and your oh. sister, I think she's in theatre. Paint a picture of your, you know, your family and who does what, because you're obviously a very creative group of people. Yeah, yeah, we, we kind of are. My 
my mother is she was trained as a, a puppeteer she she did theater she did acting and all of that stage work and um so growing up I was pretty much used to sitting on the living room floor with mum late at night we would just be get carried away with these imaginative puppets playing and doing little shows together making making them cutting them out I mean it was it's incredible really now that I look back she's incredibly talented and she used to use you know it's amazing what you can cut out of a sponge or just really simple things and she was just she's so incredibly resourceful and I had my father who who who's a ceramicist Uh, primarily he's a sculptor and um, he decided to work with clay did you always know that you'd have a creative career no not at all I think it took me a while to sort of realize what I was good at in school Probably around GCSE level. Yeah. It's only until other people recognised it in me that I took it further. I understand that. Why do you think you are drawn to it? Do you think, can you identify something about making that appeals to you? I think it's it's something that you get lost in. Yeah. The creative process itself, it could be anything for anyone, but it's it's a subject, It's it's a thing that you can do or be or a state that you can be in that allows you to connect to to be honest to connect to your divinity I think that's where it all starts almost sort of saying that your art is teaching you about life and you know you're you're using your creative expression to sort of get a richer or deeper understanding of who you are and also sort of wider broader meaning yeah absolutely we all have an inner person that we talk to every day, all day. The creativity, the process of connecting to that person inside allows you to transform, expand in infinity ways. How do you think, obviously you're incredibly talented uh, creatively. For for people who are say maybe not quite as talented, but would love to tap into that. I mean, is that why you do a bit of teaching to help people access that? Yeah, teaching is actually a two-way street. It's me helping, um, but also they're helping me. It's a nice way of looking at it. But every interaction always is. It couldn't not be. But but I've got the awareness of it. So so I'm really grateful for every interaction that I have. That that this person's teaching me something too. If if you if it was all just a one way street, you'd be sucked. You'd be bone dry with with energy. What got me started actually was somebody pointed out. She pointed out in a really beautiful way. She said, you know, your father's got a really unique. He's got a gift. He's got something to share. He's got a skill that um, is quite special and. Why don't you, you know, you could learn it. She said it, she said it in a way where it was like, you know, we don't, we don't want it to sort of fade away. Why don't you just learn it? And this was, this was over the time where technology was really, really surging, probably about 10 years ago. Technology was madly on the rise and it felt like um, creativity and, and sort of crafts that you do with your hands were dwindling and a lot of the ceramics courses around London were just shutting down in universities and in colleges and then there was this sort of desperation and there's a slight feeling of desperation like like gasping for air the feeling of gasping for air like I need to use my hands there's something missing here there's the, I'm hungry for something yeah that's really interesting I got captivated in in the craft and I just saw it I saw it as a very beautiful activity and I was more interested in sharing at the time I was interested in how to articulate it 
Because it's quite a difficult thing to teach, to be honest. I bet, yeah. Especially when it's something that's so innate. If it comes to you very naturally, it's kind of can be hard to express that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I spent the first two years, I was developing my own practice along the way, but I was more, I was fascinated about talking to people, connecting with people through this medium and teaching it. But how to teach it was the big question mark. I was observing my father, watching him, seeing how he spoke, behaved, his energies, character, all of it, probably unconsciously at the time. And then I, I also went to school and I spent a while in the school environment. And to be honest, as soon as I stepped in the school, I just wanted to run straight back. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just because of my own projections of, of my school experience. I didn't particularly enjoy it, but it was the smell of the school primary school and the kids the kids would cry when the parents drop off the kids and stuff and yeah I used to just stand there hugging the kids I think well something else you've mentioned in terms of your home is that idea that you're kind of impacted by sensory things you know the importance of smells and kind of tasting the air air quality seems to be yeah I mean we're breathing in air every day oxygen so I've got lots of plants yeah being in the centre of London the air quality can be quite poor and you can feel it and I can I definitely notice it when I go to the countryside and come back. British countryside is absolutely stunning it's gorgeous I've always been really fond of it my my mother's family lived there my grandparents and cousins and stuff so I went to boarding school there and I loved it I loved the, the just the fresh air the green just the colour of the green and the smell of the green and the, yeah really really stunning so I suppose I've always wanted to bring that element into my life. Plants is your um, is your final secret, actually. Do you fill your home with plants? I fill my home like mad with the plants. I've got, I mean, at the moment I'm sleeping with the plants <laughs> in my living room. I've got these huge, um, this, these huge leaves that sort of cascade and flop over my face when I'm sleeping, and I just, I just find them so nourishing and neutralizing. And where do you look for inspiration for your for your pots? Do you is it nature? Do you is that what you're kind of when you're coming up with your amazing textures and glazes? Um, well, when I talk about nature in my work, I, I mean, we are nature. It doesn't mean we, I have to be in like the jungle, even though I do want to be and live in the jungle. I think I will be there one day. We, we couldn't run away from nature, even if we wanted to. But I think in terms of the, the surface design and the surface texture of, of my work is inspired by the material itself because all the glazes they're made up of stone and metal I think of those materials and those properties when I'm working with it when I'm touching when I'm smell I can smell and feel the stone when I'm mixing the glaze my hands in the bucket and stuff I use a lot of glazes that are high in texture they're quite bubbly and then I combine them with really smooth glossy surfaces and what's your outlook on colour? I know you've recently done a collaboration with a painter, either in your work or in how you live at home. Do you like surrounding yourself with brighter colours or are you more interested in the natural neutrals? I mean, at the moment, I've just, the, the work that I've got at home is, is slightly older pieces and they're more neutral. I used to use a lot of glaze that resembles sort of like a marble-like finish. It's got a lot of rutile in it. It's kind of like pearlescent, iridescent. It's kind of marbly. And um, so I've got loads of ceramic pieces with that on. And, and I've got lots of white sort of curtain sheets and curtains everywhere, kind of loosely thrown everywhere. I can't, yeah, I really like white sheets. 
I'm not being funny, but this is a new thing. It's because I always buy like five, ten sheets every year for exhibiting and I just throw the sheets on top of tables or plinths or if I need to do a photograph of it it's really easy to use sometimes the washing them doesn't do it because they're, they're filthy and they're, they get really badly stained and stuff so I always just take the sheets home and I just throw them around the flat as well and I, my, my home is to be honest fairly similar to like a working environment or a gallery or a studio sort of I have compartments, I just move bits around and I kind of feel like I've just moved in still. Yeah, but it sounds great because you can you can change it up and, you know, you're surrounded by your creative objects. I mean, we we talk a lot about nostalgia on this podcast and kind of the importance of memories or or kind of cultural references. It sounds as though all of that backdrop of creativity and craft has very much informed how you live with your sister. Yeah, I suppose so. It's all kind of wrapped into one. For me, it's all wrapped into one, I suppose. Work because work is my life and that's life that that work is is all part of my life. It's the same and my sister's part of that and my I bring it all it's all merged in so that I enjoy every bit of it. And has that been particularly enhanced by working with your with your dad? Does that kind of enhance that, you know, feeling of I don't know, community almost? It, for me it's a complete blessing to have to work with my family. You know, our family aren't going to be around us every day. It feels like an extended love when I can go to the studio and I can see, I can feel the same love that I get from my father or my sister, for example, or my mother. It's also shared amongst the other students or artists that are working with us. The, the people, the community in Kingsgate Workshops, which is the building where our studios are, there is a very family orientated, homely. People bring their kids in, their dogs in. That's a really lovely sentiment, Freya. Thank you. I mean, from the reflections on the importance of creativity, your insights into craft, you painting a picture for us of your mother, cutting out shapes from sponges. I've loved talking to you about what inspires you and what makes you happy. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining us for this week's inspiring episode of The Well-Crafted Life, a future homes production from Homes and Gardens and Martin Moore. I'm Sarah Spiteri, and my editor is Matt Gibbs. We hope you'll listen in again next week. Mm-hmm.